Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Jesus sent Mary Magdalene to his disciples. He apostled her to go to the apostles. She's often been called the apostle to the apostles. Seems a little bit out of place, doesn't it? supposed to be men and only the 12, but Jesus sent her as the one, actually the first one, to have seen him arisen. As we heard John chapter 20, it relates the account of the women coming to the tomb. We skipped some of that. We hear it on Easter. And then coming to anoint Jesus' body, finding the tomb empty, and then running to get the apostles, Peter and John, to confirm their witness that the body of Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And then as we heard, they all went away, the women and the two disciples, and Mary lingered behind, weeping outside the grave in the garden. Then as we heard, she stooped to look in and she saw what is a recreation of the Holy of Holies, two angels on either end of the tomb, one at the head and one at the feet clothed in white array, but no Jesus. They asked her, woman, why do you weep? And her grief seems to be so overwhelming that it doesn't even register with her that she's talking to angels. She says to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. So she turned and saw someone standing there, and of course, we know who it was. She thought it was a gardener. He was buried in a garden, after all, a new tomb in a garden. Of course, that draws our mind and our attention back to another garden. In that garden, sin entered into the world, and now in this garden, sin forgiven, life is given. The question comes again, this time from the one standing before her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Well, the gardener is like I guess to us, like Dick Horn. If anybody knows what happened in the cemetery, he would know. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Isn't it interesting that she doesn't refer to the body, but she refers to him, Jesus. But then the single word of revelation happened for her. He calls his own sheep by their name, which he had foretold in John chapter 10. And so he says, Mary, her name. And now she knows, suddenly. The body is not in the tomb because her Lord is standing right before her, alive and never to die again. So she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she wants to hold him so that he can never get away again. You can almost hear her thinking, it will be like before. I'll never let go of you again. I'll never let that happen again. But Mary ends up being an example for us that Jesus has something far greater in store for her and for us. 
There's going to be much more Jesus for her than simply him standing there dressed like a gardener. He tells her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then off she runs to tell the apostles all that she has seen and heard. Thus Christ chose this lowly woman from whom he had once cast out seven demons to be the first witness of the resurrection and then dispatched her with a joyous message to the apostles. Thus we call her the apostle to the apostles. But now the scholars in days since have argued a great deal about her. We know that she followed Jesus. We know that she, her name is listed at least 12 times by the evangelists and that both Luke and Mark describe her as having those seven demons gone out of her. Her name tells us where she's from. She's from Magdala, a town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then, of course, she's the first eyewitness and testifier of the resurrection. That should be enough. But uh, as we are wont to do, we like to speculate and imagine what else might be more. She's often equated with another woman in the Gospels, the one who anointed Jesus' feet, uh, who is thought to be a prostitute or at least a loose woman. There's been other opinions that have been made quite famous now, as in recent decades, in books and films, even in a famous musical. You know which one I'm talking about, maybe. I think you're all old enough for that. And I get it. We'd like to know more about this, Mary. But of course, as we often hear when we celebrate these feast days, recognizing the apostles, we don't know much about them. Usually just their name and maybe one detail or two. And then a whole bunch of pious mythology. What's interesting about Mary is that the speculation about her is almost entirely negative. Despite her being chosen by Jesus to be the apostle to the apostles, one whom he converts again to faith simply by saying her name, she's often painted not so positive, but in a worse light. St. Gregory the Great thought that the seven demons cast out of her meant that she had committed all seven cardinal sins. We might think that the ancients made Mary look bad just to make us look better. But I don't think that's putting the best constructive on their motives. The worse that Mary seems to us, the better, or the more outstanding, the grace of God in choosing her. It's one thing for Jesus to cast out seven demons and to redeem such a poor woman. But if she's also that sinful woman that anointed his feet and, wa and wiped them with her hair, well, then that makes her even more impressive, that he could forgive such a one as her. That's a testament to forgiveness. But that's not usually how our stories are told, are they? We tell myths about the people we love, too. But unlike the sad story of Mary, where it seems more and more insults are laid up upon her so that the grace of God can redound upon her, when we tell stories about ourselves and about those whom we love, especially those who have died, we tell about all of our accomplishments, our family, our great reputation, our moral living, the way that we acted like Christians. We don't tell stories that are honest, even deprecating, like those of Mary Magdalene, 
Instead, our stories are more like a long self-righteousness project. We're always trying to overcome the word that Jesus says. For there is not just a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. There is not a just man on earth, not one, who does good and does not sin, Ecclesiastes 7. The Bible would have us tell the true story about ourselves and about others, as bleak and dark as it might be, or as we confessed, poor and miserable, and then just have us shut up, stop trying to justify ourselves and tell better stories about ourselves. All the attempts to tell better stories about ourselves ultimately fail because they ring false. That's been my experience at funerals. We tell good stories about the dead. We actually call them that, eulogies. It means good words, unless they're Irish, and then we just tell the true story. <laughs> we set aside the failings, the, the failures, and the moral shortcomings when we remember our loved ones. We don't want to remember how God worked forgiveness in them and repentance, confessing their sins and acknowledging their weaknesses. We'd rather forget all of that, talk about the dead like they're some kind of saint already. But that's not right. And that's not how Jesus would have us remember ourselves any more than he would have us remember Mary or the apostles or the evangelists who all seem to have a, do a pretty good job actually destroying their own reputation. Paul is a great example of that. And the reason is, is that all the nonsense stories that we tell about ourselves are ultimately dead in Christ. They're buried in his new tomb. They're plunged under the waters of our baptism. And then Jesus raises us to new life and he gives us a new story. A new story in his New Testament. We now live, yes, sinners according to the flesh, but forgiven in Jesus' blood. We are baptized into Christ. We are now clothed with Christ. And that is the story that will be told on the last day, the last story told that will hold into eternity. God will say, you are my child. I have called you. I have redeemed you, purchased you, and won you. I know you by name, just as he did for Mary Magdalene. The truth stories about our fleshly life aren't really held against us anymore anyway any more than they're being credited to us, which would be, well, as worthless as filthy rags, Paul says. Like the stories of Mary Magdalene, whether they are true or pious myth, let's tell the true story about ourselves and then trust in the grace of Christ and the forgiveness that he gives. The one, tell the story of Christ who has saved us. May God grant it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.